last week. We explored Glasgow's darker side, sliding through the fog and through realities guided by the voices of queer playwrights. Learned about the lived experiences and love of horror and slam poetry that informed the birth of folklore, right here on Radio Drama Revival. Hello, and welcome to Radio Drama Revival, the podcast that showcases the diversity and vitality of modern audio fiction. I'm your host, Elena Fernandez-Collins. Today, we'll engage in conversation with Ross McFarlane and B.B. June, two of the co-creators of Folkslore. The convergence of influences at In the Works ranges from punk to climate justice to trans rights, and we talk about all of them. In particular, we talk about queer poetry and art, and how queerness and horror and art mesh so well together, and how if we want to be true to our communities and to ourselves, we have to embrace messiness. Some of In the Works art deals with the experience of being trans in the UK. Existing as a transgender person in the UK is, as in the US, especially dangerous right now, considering events like current legislation, media treatment, and the overwhelming voices of transphobic celebrities. We'd like you to consider donating and supporting Small Trans Library Glasgow, a lending library for trans, including non-binary people. They also have a trans grocery fund to help redistribute funds to trans folks in need and have been a godsend during the pandemic. You can find them and their donation links at TransLibrGLA on Twitter. Next up, our interview with Ross and BB about folklore and everything else you can expect. Ross and BB, thank you so much for coming on to Radio Drama Revival to talk about folklore. Thank you for having us. Yeah, super excited to chat to you. Yes, I'm very excited to talk about queerness and horror and poetry. I love all of these things. Mm, so. Yes. <laughs> um, but let's start with with uh, the two of you and your work. Uh, so, uh, Bibi, you're a spoken word poet and a theater producer. And one of your focuses alongside queerness is climate justice, which I find really cool. Um, so tell, tell us a little about um, what is powerful for you about using spoken word um, theater to support the cause for climate justice? Well, big question to start with. Wow. (laughs) Um, For me, climate justice and my interest in it uh, kind of grew very naturally from my intersecting identities, marginalized identities, like queerness. Um, For me, it feels really relevant to climate justice uh, and so does disability so does being a migrant and there's so many other things of our interests that um, intersect there. So it kind of all came together in that alongside my love for apocalyptic stories and apocalyptic storytelling and the freedom, the idea of an apocalypse gives us in our storytelling because it kind of breaks down all these ideas of what society is supposed to be like um, and lets us build from something uh, that's already broken down instead of having to do that, that heavy lifting of breaking down all the bad stuff. Um, and that, yeah, I think for me, poetry has always been a way of um, communicating things to people that I don't know how else I would communicate. Uh, I don't always know how to talk to people about things is what I'm trying to say, <laughs> <laughs> or how to how to get across that something's really important to me. 
But when you're on a stage and you go, this is really important, guys, people tend to be like, oh, wait, they're on a stage. Now it must be important. Yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. Um, no, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. And I think there's a lot. Um, yeah, like I said, I really enjoy storytelling and telling stories that are set in worlds that let me imagine better things for uh, my people. And unfortunately for me, that is within an apocalyptic or post-apocalyptic world, uh, which is luckily also what we're currently heading towards. So, you know, everything's just yeah. coming together great. It's great. I mean, like, yeah, you can you can put into practice all the things that you hoped you would never have to deal with. Um. <laughs> yep. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Uh, no, I really, I really feel that uh, about um, being able to communicate what it is that you find important with other people and finding difficulties in, in how to do that and having to do it through some other like mediated means, right? Like theater or poetry or, mm -hmm. uh, or a fiction podcast. Um, <laughs> what? <laughs> what? Segway? <laughs> oh. <laughs> um, Ross, uh, one of the things in your, uh, one of the descriptions in your bio is that you're influenced um, by punk in your poetry work, um, which you can see right in the so-called right transgressional nature of some of the things that you discuss in a lot of your work. Um, what can our audience listen for in folklore or in other parts of your work that shows that influence? Like if you were to tell someone here, listen to this part, what would it be? Uh, oh, that's a really good question. Um, so yeah, I like um, I grew up on punk music, and um, I was just never very musical, or definitely not as much as my older brothers. So I became a poet instead, uh, and like right from the start of trying to get on stage and and do poetry, it was all about like how do you translate, you know one minute long 80s punk songs into poems it turns out you just do them in one minute and you do them as quickly and as loudly and as aggressively as you could and then the aggression dropped off pretty quickly <laughs> i decided that I, I definitely did not want to be as aggressive a poet as a lot of the punk bands and that also comes from like a love of folk punk and and a bunch of other different influences um in terms of what i've like what i would bring what I would say I brought to folklore with it is just like, uh, I mean, subject matter. Punk is angsty teenage nonsense, and that's what folklore is. Um, it's also like, <laughs> at least my episode in the pilot is, and several of the other episodes nice. that have since been written. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, and yeah, I guess like coming from a DIY scene in punk to a DIY scene in poetry and then in audio drama to some extent, like, yeah, we do everything ourselves. We try and make sure everyone kind of gets through, everyone's happy, everyone produces something that they're they're really happy about and something they want to see. Uh, and that all stems from punk, I guess, to some extent. Uh, if you were to listen to something, I think, Folkslore isn't necessarily the best place, at least the pilots, but maybe some stuff in season one. And uh, uh, yeah, maybe Makeshift is a far more, is a far better rendition. We have a, we have an audio drama version of a production that we toured in 2019. I almost said last year, but in 2019. <laughs> 2019. Um, 2020 didn't happen. <laughs> yeah, <fine. laughs> still last year. 
And uh, that's that's probably a bit more of what you would expect to see if you saw me live, I guess, than, than folklore is. That would be the production makeshift, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so I, li- I did listen to makeshift. Um, and uh, it's, uh, for everyone listening, this is a... Um, a poetic performance that they transformed um, into uh, a festival entry, an audio festival entry for the Saboteur Awards Festival. Um, and it's this poetic theater work about queerness and acceptance and found family, right? And first of all, what a hell of a piece. Like, if uh, it's just like, it's really, really incredible. Um, Thank you. And if anyone wants to listen to it, there's going to be a link in the episode description. Um, this was a picture of the lives of two people in 2019, right? How do you think our approaches to found family have changed since, thanks to the hell that was the year that didn't happen, 2020? <laughs> that is a, an excellent, excellent uh, thought. Yeah, I hadn't, I don't think I'd considered it that way yet. And it kind of made me very sad as soon as you asked it. I was like, gosh, yeah. Um, I think it's something that's really important in very different ways to both me and Ross. And we are we are each other's fan family. Uh, you know, Ross is uh, my family. Um, I hope that's reciprocated. I'm pretty sure it is. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and it's been so Ross lives in Glasgow, where I also lived for many years. Um, and I now live in London, which is in U.S. terms, not that far away, but in, in COVID terms, you know, a, a lifetime. Uh, and I've, <laughs> I've only been able to make it up once in, in 2020. Uh, and that was the difference between being in the same room uh, versus seeing each other on Zoom was just kind of breathtaking in a way of coming together, both on a personal level and on a creative level. Like the, the work we did in the one month that I spent in Glasgow, um, and we came up with more ideas than I have in the whole rest of the year. That that. And that's such a strange thing to notice that you come together and um, that physical coming together and that being in the same room and being in each other's presence and sharing vibes, as the kids would say. <laughs> I think that that's <laughs> so important. And um, yeah, my heart really aches for just queer communities and uh, any any community really, but especially I think as queer people and in my case also as a, as a migrant, like yeah, that fun family is so important and I definitely really, really miss it. And um, I don't know how it's changed other than there's a lack of it, I think, um, which is a very sad answer. Um, but it it has made me even more aware than I already was of how important it is to me, definitely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, 2020 <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> 2020 yep. sucked. Yeah. Um, it sucked not being able to see BB and the rest of all our, our friends. Like um, Ellen's, um, BB's managed to see Ellen, uh, who we also work with um, through some work. And uh, I've not managed, I've not seen Ellen since the first week of March, I think now, um, which has been just really sad. It's been really sad not seeing BB. I'm very glad they came up for a little while. But uh, yeah, there's a lot to miss. Absolutely. Yeah, I think, um, yeah, something that I've been thinking a lot about um, throughout 
lockdown, right? And uh, into 2021 as we watch vaccines sort of get rolled out. Um, <laughs> yep. Uh, <laughs> uh, is um, community and how much, like how many communities fractured because they did not have any kind of security or support nets in place for something this extreme um, and how difficult it is to like bring it back together. But once you do, it's like really beautiful. Mm. Um, Cause I mean, it's necessary and you have to like find the way to do that. Yep. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. It, it plays into, I think why, at least for me, why I enjoy writing about horror so much, not about horror, why, why I enjoy writing horror, especially at the moment, it feels like a very, um, it feels like where my hat, my, where my head is all the time and getting to write that and getting to be in that space in a creative sense um it just feels right at the moment and it feels like a yeah a creative exploration of of the of the time that we live in and of our own brains at the moment i've definitely felt not always at peace in my own brain in the past year and a half and i'm sure that every year and a half how long has it been a year now almost it feels so much longer um yeah <laughs> and and working we got we got the news that we were making a first or second first season of folklore first full season of folklore um right mm-hmm. at the beginning of the pandemic uh in in the uk and it was kind of a strange thing that happened simultaneously where we were really happy that we got to do that and started working on that almost right away and working on ideas and plans and then I definitely think it's shaped a lot of what I wanted to write about and what we ended up, not that we wrote about the pandemic in any way, but the kind of, you know, the thoughts of of, um, of found family and of, of other queer themes and, and horrible things that can happen to people. For me, definitely, there's, there's a lot of that feeling in there. And, you know, thoughts on happy endings versus sad endings. And um, do we always need happy endings? You know, when, especially thinking about queer stories which often mm-hmm. don't get happy endings in fiction. Um, does that mean we need to limit ourselves to happy endings now? Or are there other ways of all these thoughts that kind of came together? Yeah. And, and it definitely felt like a really good thing to work on in this time. I love I love this conversation about like um, uh, queer stories and the way that we choose to portray queer characters and their stories um, and this big divide that there is between um, we must have happy, go lucky, happy endings and, and happy, good queer characters. And you're not allowed to portray queer characters with flaws or, or, or bad, <laughs> whatever value of bad you want to assign <laughs> to that word, I guess. Uh, and then the other side is the, like the other, like end of the trench, which is kind of like, oh, did you want them to be queer? I guess we could like tease it and then, you know, kill one of them. <laughs> And super help. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So it's like I'm. A, I'm gonna need a medium. I'm gonna need a happy, a happy medium where we can just like tell the stories that are important to us. Um, yeah. Like absolutely. We're we're real people with real stories here, and and real stories aren't always happy, and they don't always have mm-hmm. good people in them. But they're also not always sad. Uh, not everyone has to die. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, what? Yeah. I know, weird. <laughs> we need to rewrite our episode. <laughs> no, it's that was, definitely true. Yeah, yeah, that was one of the big one of the big conversations we had, kind of in the lead up to season one. Was like, we got to be careful about what we're doing, but also let's not just have really good characters 
let's not just you know let's let's play around with that and tell slightly more nuanced stories which is kind of how we try and go into everything but like folkslore especially and um after the the pilots were like let's have a big conversation about what we want to do with this and what we want to say and since we're talking about this, let's uh, let's hype up Sid, um, Sid yes, Briscoe, who is not <laughs> not with us. Sid is the the creator of the third pilot or the the second one, but um, the third one that people won't have listened to um, on in, in our audience uh, between. Without spoiling the episode, um, what's amazing about Sid's approach to poetic theater and? Um, the portrayal of walking around as a trans person in Glasgow. So Sid has we Sid has performed alongside us, not alongside us, right, but in the same scene of poetry in Glasgow for a long time, and we've been pals for ages. Uh, so we were really excited that we got to work with Sid on this specifically, um, and they do this infuriating thing where you you. you you know, we have these big meetings about what's everyone going to write about, how we're going to do this, you know, all the worries that we have and how are we going to edit stuff. And then Sid comes back a couple of weeks later and just has written this amazing thing. And and we're both still like, oh, oh shit, we still need to finish everything. Oh, we need, still need to, oh no, what's happening? And Sid's just got this beautiful, like, not that it's perfect, you know, everything needs editing, but it's brilliant. And um, yeah, just this knack for translating this sort of, little seed of an idea into the full thing without faltering anywhere and without you know going off on a on the, in the wrong direction and, and just goes for it um which i definitely admire because i know a lot about tangents so <laughs> it's yeah it's just and that definitely the the pilot episode that sid wrote is for me something that i'd never heard before in that way and that worked so well um, I, I'm trying to not say any spoilers, which is hard. But yeah, that that feeling of being a trans person and, and being watched and um, trying not to get stuck in your trauma, I think this is the least spoilery way I can say it, um, was something I, I got a lot of as a writer and um, as a trans person. And yeah, I, I admire Sid so much. So I'll stop talking now before we... I'll give Russell some space to also talk of Sid. Um, yeah, that, and Sid's the best, like, I just, yeah, there's, um, yeah, Sid's again a guy that, um, we, we ran a first birthday event for the open mic that he started, and then it was taken over by someone else, and then I was, uh, BB and I started taking over afterwards, and we ran a big birthday event, Sid shows up and goes, I wrote this on the train up from London, and does, uh, like, eight minute like amazing manifesto piece and it's Epic. one of my favorite things it was just incredible and you know is the is the guy who you come up he comes off stage every time and you should go oh fuck you absolutely <laughs> I hate you. Um, and, and now we get exact, to work with him <laughs> yeah exact same working with him on folks where it's like i have a i have an idea about this i think i want to talk about this this and this we're like okay there's there's you know a few things to watch out for there and maybe have a think about this and how are you going to structure that in a plot and he goes yeah yeah i'll have a think about it comes back there it goes it's done it's there. done did it <laughs> we're like absolutely we... thought about all the things that you said <laughs> <laughs> nice <laughs> 
yeah, uh, I've definitely worked with that person. Um, how dare you be so talented? Uh, this is encouragement for everyone in the audience to go to the Folklore feed um, and make sure to listen to uh, Sid's pilot episode. So Folklore is um, set in Glasgow, which is one of the, the hallmark descriptors for the podcast. Right? Glasgow is very important to um, Folklore's whole uh, ethos and atmosphere. Um, so what aspects of Glasgow are the ones that you brought forward in your pieces and why? Um, for me, uh, I, my, my piece really came from a place of like coming from a religious background, which, um, for those who don't know much about Glasgow, religion's kind of a thing here. Um, uh, I'll not say a huge amount more, but like I, I grew up in a, a very lax and liberals probably in the true sense, uh, liberal, uh, religious background, but, um, especially as a queer person, like, it does have an effect on you, no matter how nice your church is. Um, and growing up in Glasgow especially, that like that was something that I did want to write about and I'd wanted to write about for years. Uh, and I used my kind of episode to talk about that. And I also just, I love the city. I've, I've lived in Glasgow my whole life. And the, like, so my setting is like the inner city of Glasgow, a place that I've kind of wandered about for years and as much as I kind of came from the the a commuter town outside of the city itself, the only thing in there was a train station that brought me into the city. And so, like, everything I do is very Glasgow-based <laughs> because, one, it's kind of all I know, and two, I do love it as a city and as a setting for stories. Yeah. I, I came to Glasgow when I was 19. Um, so from a very... I didn't grow up there and... Uh, probably have a very different perspective on it um, than Ross. And to me, there was something about Glasgow is a, it's a spooky city. It, you know, it's often very dark and rainy and broody, I think I'd call it. Uh, it's also historically a very poor city, um, mm -hmm. which I think has had a massive impact on both the sort of architectural, you know, layout of the city and also its culture uh, in a really not not in a, in a really good way, but I, you know Glasgow is amazing and wonderful, and I think it's to me it's often there's this whole thing about Glasgow being like what is it number one crime capital? There's all these things about Glasgow. There's there's documentaries and all that. When I moved to Glasgow, my mom went, oh no, like Glasgow, <laughs> even though I'm from Amsterdam, so you know big city for a smaller city, but and to me there was something really nice in 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 setting it. Obviously, because that's where we lived at the time. Uh, no, no, I don't know anymore, but still love it and still am there a lot. Uh, but there's also something nice about it being almost a traditional horror setting. Like if you picture a, a sort of city where that where a horror thing might be set, Glasgow is that. But also at the same time, I like to think we add in a lot of the, the kindness and gentleness of the city as well. And that feels like a really nice balance. Um, to be able to bring to that. Yeah. For those who who want like a little bit of context on Glasgow, about 10, 15 years ago, in the same year, it was the knife crime capital of Europe and the UK's friendliest city. In the same year, it was voted both of those things. So that's like, you know... That's it. That's the vibe. Yeah. That's, <laughs> that's why Folkslore fits in quite well there, I think. 
<laughs> and it's really queer. <laughs> That's also it, very yeah. Yes, that that that, uh, that is a thing that I know about Glasgow. Oh. <laughs> yeah, it's fascinating. I did not know that though. That's very very interesting. <laughs> nice dichotomy there. <laughs> Um, so in um, in all of these episodes, there's this um, encroaching reality upon Glasgow, right? One that causes the protagonist to experience and witness a supernatural world um, or event, right? Superimposed onto their own life or experience. Um, talk to me about the presentation of liminal spaces in Warehouse and Static. So liminality, as as overdone as it is at this point, um, I don't I care. Think, I love liminal spaces. Oh, yeah, same. <laughs> I'll never not <laughs> love it. <laughs> um, I think it's such a recognizable thing for anyone who, um, who is in some way marginalized. I really hate that word, but it's the easiest way to to get across what I mean. Um, for queer people, for disabled people, for migrant people colonized people i think that feeling of living in a society that is telling you it is one thing while you experience it in a different way um for me is so central to my life and i think that goes for all of us to a certain extent so that was i think it just comes natural i think when you write about queerness and topics related to that to go towards that idea of people keep telling me that what i'm seeing isn't true or that my fear isn't real but i know it is because i've experienced it my entire life um, and then on top of that, there is, I think, something we all also wanted to incorporate, which is mental health and mental illness specifically. Um, and I think all three pilot episodes have this element of, do I actually know that what I'm experiencing is real? Or can the audience trust that what is being experienced is real or not? Uh, and what does real even mean? If it is in your head, does that mean it's not real? All that stuff. Um, so there's a lot of elements why I think we didn't decide we were going to write about the liminal in any way. We just wanted to write some fun stories. And then I think in each episode, there is that element of what's what's happening, what isn't happening and and why. Well, you know, why is this happening? Um, just comes natural when you're queer, I guess. <laughs> um. not letting me scroll cool i want to see the next question okay um so you uh you brought up um this uh this aspect of mental illness that you're also exploring and my uh submissions editor our submissions editor rashika noted how these pilot episodes are rooted very deeply in anxiety and fear either internal or external right fear of being queer like internally or or externally being perceived as such. Um, one of the things it can lead to, right, that it leads to is the audience, uh, it leads the audience to wonder, for instance, how much the narrator in, in Warehouse is lying, for instance, right? Um, so what is it about, you've talked about this a little bit, I want, I want to get into it a little bit deeper. Um, and what is it about the link between queerness and anxiety that Folkslore wants to draw attention to for its audience? And also paranoia, because I know that you've mentioned that before as well. Yeah. Um, 
So the link between queerness and anxiety in Warehouse, I'd say, is is me primarily in Warehouse. <laughs> I am both queer and anxious. Um, oh, big mood. <laughs> um, but I think so. I'm. I come at a lot of these stories from a, a like a very narrative point of view of like what's the story I want to tell and what are the interesting ways to do that while like kind of hitting the themes in an interesting way. Um, and Warehouse, I'd say, is like weirdly one of the more conventional things that I've put down in terms of like, it's a very like strict su- structure um, and it's very much like it's telling a story as I imagine it would be experienced as opposed to kind of getting, as I am want to do in a lot of other things, kind of poetic with the the descriptors or the 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 time in which it's going over like it's a very strict like it's someone telling you a story and you get to interpret that however you feel um is most accurate um (laughs) uh, and that was it it just it fit really well it was a story that i wanted to tell it hit the themes that i wanted to explore in terms of like first romance and and the the fear that comes with that, especially being mm-hmm. queer and especially um oh this probably isn't a spoiler, especially in the time in which it's set, which is not <laughs> a modern day story. There are a couple of kind of pointers to that in the episode that I don't think it's a spoiler to say that that, that is set a few decades before modern times. Um and it was that story that I wanted to explore and to kind of just tell um, for folklore. And yeah, I guess the link is just me. That's like, it's literally just the story yeah, I wanted to tell at that point. Yeah. <laughs> I think there's also something about what you were saying earlier about letting characters be flawed or um, something that I, especially in writing the the first full season uh, and looking back on the pilot episodes for that um, there's a lot of ambiguity in the characters and what their motivations are especially the ones that aren't the ones narrating the actions and I think there's something about kind of a lot of media nowadays in our time tends to get really meta or over like explains a lot of motivations and intentions because I guess as creators we often don't want audiences to misinterpret or or feel like uh, there's just so much we want to be smart about it and we want the audience to know we're being smart about it as well and I definitely do that a lot um I think in all the stories there's an element of um is is this person actually being uh cruel or mean to me or is there something else going on uh in Ross's story you know there's a love interest and is this love interest uh I, again, I don't want to spoil it, but is this love interest actually as confident as they appear or not? And um, letting characters be who they are uh, without trying to tell the audience, oh, but actually, uh, you know, th- this yeah. is actually different or, or here, here's some more information, um, which I think, especially in horror you need to leave a lot open and it kind of forces mm-hmm. you to leave things open and to explain, you know, in real life, we don't know those things. That's where a lot of my anxiety comes from, I think, <laughs> not knowing people's uh, intentions. 
Um, and in a narrative way, having to leave intentions open and ha- letting characters just be themselves make, for me, was a really good lesson in, in becoming a better writer, I think, uh, and becoming a better horror writer specifically. Um, even if from my own anxious queer brain, I wanted to be really clear about what people were doing or, or all those things. And yeah, I just love horror as a genre for queer people and queer creators. Yeah, absolutely. It's great. It's also worth noting, just just to kind of, we, we wrote the pilot season of Folkslore in like, I think September 2018. Um, we, we were... It was a three-month whirlwind of we got our funding in and they said, right, we need we need you to have finished in three months. So we, <laughs> we wrote and recorded it all in in dev, our incredible um our our incredible sound engineer could have got it all together. And then we sat on it for over a year because <laughs> we weren't a hundred percent sure when was the best time to get it out there. Um and so like thinking about the writing process and everything now is a little bit foggy especially with like now that the whole first season's done like 2018 that was that was just so long ago that was a decade ago I don't know what you're talking about (laughs) (laughs) that's very true yeah so let's let's talk about some of the narrative design that you that you you put into these these episodes in particular because I love the presence of the questioner um, and of the disembodied voice in these episodes. Um, so what motivated your choices artistically, narratively, um, to uh, your choices to have these voices um, in your episode, which take on this sort of villainous, sort of antagonistic um, quality throughout? So yeah, I wanted to establish the unreliable narrator early on um, and I also wanted to have the reveal that someone had got hurt at the end. Um, and I wanted that to be a reveal not just to the audience, but to the character. Uh, I kind of had that those two points set. And so I was kind of... What I wanted to do in the beginning of the, the story was to make the conversation sound at first as if it's a friend asking what happened on your date. And then the second time the question's asked, I wanted it to sound like a parent wondering, like, you know, trying to get the truth out of a child. And then by the end, I wanted it to sound understanding because there were areas I didn't want to stray into, but I wanted it to sound stern and to give the audience the impression like immediately, oh no, this isn't a fun story. Something is wrong here and we're about to find out hopefully the truth of what actually happened so that was the kind of the setup for the um the questioner and and warehouse i think yeah tension you know tension is such an important part of any narrative and in our stories that mostly becomes interpersonal tension i think because of the nature of the stories we tell um yeah, in horror, it's quite it's not easy to 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 reach for other kinds of tension, but often there is a lot of other kind of tension in the form of of monsters that don't necessarily have any more to them than the fear of of them. Um, whereas I think we all find it quite interesting to explore 
everyone with their own interests and intentions and how those can conflict and let let the tension exist there um and see how how scary we could make that i don't think folk story is the scariest horror out there in any way uh that wasn't our intention <laughs> either i think you know being queer is scary enough in a way so no it- Yep. <laughs> um but yeah i think that that uh there's a lot of especially in warehouse and static as well there's a sort of transition of relationships between people and um going from romantic to antagonistic uh, and kind of how those things change and how people interact with each other um which is, I think, yeah, again, just not something we necessarily decided on, but it's just kind of where our interests lie. And um, I think we mostly continue that in the first, I'm trying to think, I'm very on the fly here, but I think we mostly continue that in the first um, first season. There's also definitely an element of like our love for slam poetry gimmicks. It's one of our favorite <laughs> things in the world. Don't give it away! <laughs> like, just thinking about it, like, we love, we love group writing. With like we mm-hmm. all, all our live stuff is is conversa- has conversational elements. It's all still poetry, but it like it's it's group poetry. Um, and we love we love a good a good gimmick that gets you to play with poetry in a different way, play with performance in a different way, and and so I don't think like we try and steer away from monologues. Um, and especially with like this tight group of three that we all wanted to work together on all the episodes. Um, and that's that kind of we carried on definitely into into season one of just like we all want to work together we all want to kind of be involved in the performance as well and we want to do something we haven't done before an interrogation scene in my case was something we hadn't done before so <laughs> I love that and and I love that you're bringing up uh, the work that you do um, live and and as a group with um, within the works I have um, I have a question here that I don't know. We'll see if this question works. Um, but do you think that your work in spoken word theater inhabits a liminal space? Ooh. <laughs> That's a very open question, specifically. Uh, I, I mean, immediately, I'd say yes, just because the nature of it. Um, I think we very much come from a poetry background. We're not, uh, this is the first time we're doing, other than makeshift, which we turned into an audio thing. Um, this is the first audio drama we're making. Um, and it, it came from kind of being like, we do this poetry thing that we've turned into this theater thing. Now maybe we can also turn it into an audio drama thing. Uh, and just our interest there. And I think we we get a lot of joy from blending things together and kind of trying to pick the best parts of each thing um, and seeing what comes out and how good we can make it within our, the limitations of our mortal bodies. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah, I think so. I think also in subject matter, um, we talk about a lot of things that uh, uh, there isn't really any space for in mainstream media. Um, mm-hmm. It's taken me a while to get to the point where I'm like, I have no interest in in becoming mainstream media or a person who makes mainstream media because I don't think there will be space for the stories I want to tell there. And um, I'm very happy, you know, I'd love, I'd love to, for more people to, to see the things I make, but I don't necessarily want to, uh, you know, I'm not, I'm not all capitalist about it. Like I don't care about like <laughs> becoming like the next big thing. I just want to tell these stories and 
whoever is interested in listening. Uh, yeah, I think that's very much how we how we create work. Yeah, and we've like it's it has so far worked out okay. And as much as like, <laughs> yeah, we like we're really worried between the like poetry and theatre side of things, but like. In 2019, when we did Makeshift, we toured it around poetry events, um, and it was like a theatre piece. You know, there was staging, and there was, you know, it was two people, there was conversation, there was all of these different elements, but we took it to just poetry open mics that had a feature slot, and we took the feature slot, and people seemed to enjoy it. <laughs> um, <laughs> and then after that, the next thing that we had slated, or that BB had slated, was a theatre tour. Like, in theatres around Scotland with, with Insight and it's been nice to see both of those aspects actually kind of come to fruition in a way that you know sometimes when you try and mix two worlds you end up just falling straight through the middle um, and so far it's working out and, and the audio drama stuff is just another feather in that of like it's something that we love and we've grown to love even more by being involved in, in the community and meeting people and um, and getting more engaged with like new content that's coming out. Uh, I'm really glad to that we did make folks learn. We got to be a part of that a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. So let's um, let's talk about horror for a little bit here, right? Um, so this is something that has obviously like it's in folks lore. It's been brought up multiple times throughout this conversation. Um, what aspects of um, what is it about the surreal horror that you evoke in Folklore um, that makes it the right choice to convey the ideas that you are conveying about living in the real world as a queer person? It's hard to say because I don't know if I know. Um, it's something I think we're constantly talking about, whether it is or not, um, whether the choices we're making are the right choices and specifically the responsible choices. Um, yes. Because it's so important to be mindful of that line and of the, you know, it can go so wrong. And, and horror has historically been a very unforgiving genre to queer characters. Um, I won't say queer creators because we've not historically been part of much. So <laughs> <laughs> there's that. Um, but it, it is, you know, despite that, I don't want it to sound ever like horror is just this perfect genre that if you're a queer person making horror you don't have to be mindful of the very dangerous tropes that exist within the genre um, because they do and I think everyone's susceptible to still relying on those tropes and um, I think we worry constantly that we are uh, or, or you know might um, and we try to be very careful of it. The same is both with queerness and specifically with disability as well I think is a really mm -hmm. big one in horror. Um, Absolutely. Mental illness has been, you know, such a bad trope in horror and horror as a genre has done a lot of damage, I think, um, mm -hmm. in that sense. Mm -hmm. So trying to reclaim it is uh, a constant process, I would say, and a constant checking in with yourself and each other and working with people that, you know, you can say to, I don't think this is appropriate or I don't think this works. I know you're talking from your own experience, but that's not how this is going to read. Um, which is uh, challenging at times, I'd say. Uh, I'm really you know, glad that we work with a team where that does feel safe and good. Um, 
And I think when it when it works, it works so well that it's worth it. And it works because it I think without wanting to sound really horrible, I think being queer and specifically at the moment, you know, being trans in the UK is a horror. Um Yes. And I'm I'm super for joy. Like most of my work is actually so much about queer joy and trans joy and all the beautiful things and thinking about new worlds where straight people don't exist. No, sorry, that's a horrible thing to say. <laughs> <laughs> where where I don't personally True. have to deal with any straight cis people, right? Okay, let's put it that right. way. Um, <laughs> um, you know, the the all the joy of that. That's what I normally focus on, but. There is something really um, cathartic and helpful for me in getting to talk about the horror on my terms, where I'm not the villain as the queer person, where the villain is someone else, undeniably. Like, there's no, we don't ever want it to seem like, how, no matter how flawed our characters are, they are not the villain. You know, they may be hurt or they may be uh, acting acting out or acting badly, but they're not the villain because a villain is such a specific thing in a, in a narrative. And that's never the characters that we're talking about. Um, and just having control over that, I think, as a writer and getting to tell those stories and getting to convey a little bit of that horror while also still telling, I hope, interesting and fun stories. Like, we never want to get rid of the fun in, in our stories and um, have it still be a joyful experience for audiences it's a very long one an answer to say that no it's yeah, great that... it was that was the, like a solid answer like it was really good um ross do you have anything you would like to add um i think that yeah that covers a lot of of what i would say i mean i i grew up on horror i love horror i wanted to write queer stories in horror for years but again i you know i concentrate on on happy stories and like yeah I kind of like latched onto hope punk about ten years ago, and that's just that's just been me since. And that's <laughs> uh, this was kind of my opportunity to be like, let's go a little bit darker. Let's let's go back to that thing <laughs> that you wanted to write when you were a kid, and and do it now when you're maybe a bit more prepared to write it a distance and in a good way. Mm-hmm. So let's uh, let's pull together some some threads uh that have been here uh what have been all over here which is what can people expect from folklore's first full season smiling faces not giving anything away <laughs> that, that's fair yeah no, like um... long silence <laughs> uh, yeah more more of the same if you enjoyed the pilots uh it's definitely we've we've tried to maintain that vibe with a um there's still like it's all horror elements it's all like anthology stories with kind of individual characters interesting having their own experiences and um yeah the kind of communication of those experiences through poetry again uh but we've, you know, we've we've done the we've done the warehouse, we've done the subway, and we've done the apartment block, and and now is our chance to try some different things and try some different stories. And 
yeah, we just can't wait at this point. Um, we're getting a, a new episode through from Dev every week. And, you know, that was today was episode one we got through. Oh, nice. And we all freaked out. <laughs> uh, we've, we've, yeah, we got we got the kind of the cut through for that. And um, yeah, me and Bibi were on a it's meeting and listened to it and just <laughs> flailed for a long time. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. that's how that generally works. Yeah. <laughs> I'd say I'd say maybe for season one, the queerness is occasionally a little less on the nose. Uh, mm-hmm. We were really interested in exploring some topics around queerness that aren't necessarily. Um, I'm a massive gay, and terrible things happen to me, but like <laughs> more, more <laughs> subtle, um, and maybe more systemic, and like try and make personal stories out of systemic issues. Um, you know the. Property market is is a queer horror like that, that, mm, that yeah. And how do you make a story out of that? And like uh, stuff like that, where yeah, just all kinds of. If you can tie it to queerness, then we want to talk about it. And sometimes we get stuck in talking about like the the queerest characters and how they are queer and and why that's horrible. But we want it to be a bit more, yeah, be a bit more nuanced about it. I think and try to mm-hmm. challenge ourselves to to be more nuanced about it. Um, it's still really queer, though. Don't get me wrong. Like, I think it's still super, super. Queer, I don't think. But... I don't think you'll be able to escape that. Yeah, um, <laughs> that's something that'll like magically disappear from your work. Yeah. For context, <laughs> I, I think hope there's at least one straight character in this season, which is new. Which is yeah, that's rare for us. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you need you need a villain. That's what I said. <laughs> yeah. you need a villain. <laughs> and it's not going to be the queer people. <laughs> Nice. <laughs> Mood. Um, so if there is um, any subject that you would like to talk about at this point that we didn't cover, like even if it's like a thematic thing that you want to talk about um, that you think is important, now is the time to bring it up and we can discuss. Uh, wow. Uh, <laughs> I mean, lots. No. Um, Ross, can you, do you have any... Uh, I would I would use this as an opportunity to give kind of dev their own section here and just kind of reiterate that um, yeah it's dev shot us an email when we were initially looking for a writing partner to work on this with who ended up being Sid and dev just said hey I see that you're moving into kind of audio drama stuff that's what I already do we know dev from the poetry scene dev's a fantastic poet as well and they just kind of messaged and said, "Hey, we've we've got." Oh, did you not know Dev was a poet? Wait, I'm sorry. I need you to pause. De- De- Devereaux is a poet. Yeah. I mean, I I knew that. I listened. I listened to the tower. Like I know that. <laughs> but like, huh? Yep. All a right. Real life poet. Very mm-hmm. very fun. Very very good energy on stage. Uh, yeah, we used to we used to I go to events every month. I did not expect that for month. some reason. Yeah, uh, and <laughs> yeah, uh, so Dev got in touch. Uh, we knew them through poetry, and they just said, "Hey, look, I already do this. I have a recording set up at home. Do you want to come work with me on it?" Um, we we're like, "Great," because we were just going to try and do this ourselves, which is generally how things go, and that would have gone. Terribly now Terribly. seeing how how well that it went like how and I, yeah I just want to just be clear that Dev is you know so much of what has made Folksler what it is 
like from sound design to knowledge of the industry really helpful as well um, and they are an absolute joy to work with when we recorded um the pilots um in their flat it was you know they were wrangling cats all day as the three of us <laughs> messed around and had fun and they like got that perfect perfect like mix of incredible like knows how to have fun with us and is 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 in on the joke and everything and then is able to go oh right now let's get back to this because we need to record this before the end of the day <laughs> and yeah just yeah uh i wish i had better terms to talk about the sound design that they use and i wish the, you know they were here to just you know talk about all the amazing work that they have put into it because i know how much work they put into it but um in their absence i'll just say Massive shout out to them. And, uh, huh. Yeah. Check out everything by Tinkan Audio. Like, if you like the sound design in Folkslore, there's so much more of that beautiful stuff in all their other work, especially The Tower is one of my favorites. Just also experimental sound stuff and just so good. So good. Yes. If you liked what you heard, they've just started their first full season as of March 7th. You can support more of In the Works' art via their website, intheworkstheater.com. That's theater spelled T-H-E-A-T-R-E. You can support David Devereaux's sound design and podcast magic over at their Patreon at patreon.com slash tincanaudio. Radio Drama Revival runs on the howls of angry cats trapped in bottles and the gold you collected in your favorite video game. If you'd like to help keep us afloat and featuring new, diverse, unique fiction podcasts and their creators, you can support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash radiodramarevival. And now we bring you our moment of will. Hi, all. I don't have a recommendation this week. Instead, I just want to say to all of our trans uh, listeners and audience members, um, hey, I hope you're having a good day today. And I hope you have a good day tomorrow. And I hope that most of your days are good. Though I know that that is not always super easy, given the state of things. Um, if y'all don't know, a, a good deal of the RDR crew is is trans. Uh, I am trans. I am non-binary. I am agender. Um, and if you follow our, our crew members, you'll probably find that, again, a, a lot of us are trans. So, you know. I just want to say, like, hey, little moment of solidarity. Um, things can be rough out there for us, especially when it comes to uh, specifically trans women who face different axes of marginalization or underrepresentation. Like baby, I, I hate the word marginalization, um, but like baby, I understand that it's like the easiest way to get across what I mean. Regardless, um, you know, always keep in mind that trans women of color specifically um, face a, a lot of hardship and violence. And that's something that we should be aware of and cognizant of and empathetic towards. Um, but to all of our trans audience members out there, regardless of what kind of trans you are, um, I hope you know that we know that you are trans enough and that you're valuable and that you deserve to have art that represents you, like how I feel represented by Folkslore. Um, yeah, that's all. Have, have a good day, trans folks.
Have a good day. <laughs> okay, bye. And that means it's time for the credits. This episode was recorded in the unceded territory of the Kalapuya people, the Klutskani Indian tribe, the Cowlitz Indian tribe, and the Athfalati tribe. Colonizers name this place Beaverton, Oregon. If you are looking for ways to support Native communities, you can donate to Nourish Our Nations Arizona, an organization that provides essential food items to indigenous families from more than six tribal communities, including White Mountain, Navajo Nation, and Gila River. Their GoFundMe is www.gofundme.com slash f slash nourish dash our dash nations dash Arizona. Our theme music is Reunion of the Space Ducks by the band's Kai Lokas. You can find their music on Free Music Archive. Our audio producer is Will Williams. Our marketing manager and associate editor is Ann Baird. Our researcher is Heather Cohen. Our submissions editor is Rishika Rao. Our associate marketing manager is Jillian Schrager. Our audio consultant is Eli Hamada McElveen. Our associate producer is Sean Howard. Our executive producers are Fred Greenhalge and David Reinstrom. Our mascot is Ticker Tape, the goat. I'm your host, Elena Fernandez Collins. This has been Radio Drama Revival. All storytellers, welcome. <laughs>